A successful retirement plan begins with assembling the right set of tools. Finding the proper ones for the job will allow you to drill down on your goals and nail down your future. Scott Searles, certified wealth strategist and owner of Skybox Financial Group, constructs retirement plans for clients every day and will share that knowledge and insight with you. It's time to open the retirement toolbox and get to work. Oh, you're in for a great episode today. Welcome to another edition of the Retirement Toolbox. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Scott Searles, financial advisor and president of Skybox Financial Group, serving you in the greater Cleveland area, also an office down in Bradenton, Florida. And you can get in touch with Scott by visiting us online at skyboxfinancialgroup.com. Check out the new website. Scott, congratulations on the site redesign. Everything looks real sharp. Hey, thanks, buddy. You know, we, uh, we've been working on that for a while. And, you know, it's one of those things where you got a lot of st- stuff on your plate and you just finally get around to doing that but yeah we're pretty happy with it we have you know, a lot more things we want to add to it but we got the starting point to kind of get the ball rolling on it yeah yeah gussied things up nicely it's very sharp lots of great resources and things on the page so to find the podcast it's still real easy to get there you just look for the word podcast in the menu click on it and you'll see all the episodes listed there so go check it out skyboxfinancialgroup.com and we'll be linking to that in the description of today's show so it's easy for you to find if you're listening to us on apple podcasts or spotify or anywhere else that's all right. No, I, I appreciate the plug for the website there. You're welcome. Yeah, well, I, yeah. Know, I, I know what it's like to build websites and to redesign websites. I almost would say, Scott, redesigning a site is harder than building a fresh one because you like want to keep some elements of the old site, and it just can complicate things. It's it's a big, it's a lot of work. So anyone who hasn't done it before, there's a lot of uh, detail and minutia to go through to get to completion. So I know that's probably a weight off your shoulders to reach the finish line on that. Well, my biggest problem is, Walter, is that my creative juices are quite low. I, <laughs> I, I'm really good at Not because you've ma- spent them. They just are always They low. just weren't there. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm really good at math, but I'm not real good writer. And when it comes to creativity, I'm kind of low on, on the totem pole on that one. So that, That's why you've got a few people to help you out with those kinds of things, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, uh, well done, sir. And I think it'll be a great resource for people to learn a little bit more about you as they're getting to know you and to uh, tap into some of the great resources and things that you're producing. And it feels good, I know, to have a new fresh side up. So yeah, go check it out, Skybox financialgroup.com, the place to go see that. Great show on the way today. A little preview of what we're going to be talking about. We've got a mailbag question to answer a little bit later on from April. April's got some questions about her and her husband planning to take care of each other as they get older, but uh, not really sure if they have the right kind of coverage or plan in place you know, to cover the, their aging plan. So that'll be good. We'll get into that in a little bit of detail later on. And uh, we also have a fun getting to know you question for Scott this week. And I'm actually coming well prepared on this and the next couple of episodes, Scott, with movie and TV reviews. We have been binge watching a lot of things uh, this right. month. We, we, we took a week vacation and we, it was in the mountains. It was 18 degrees outside. And so there wasn't much to do. So <laughs> we, right. we watched well, a lot of TV. Well, and, at least you uh, had internet. Uh, yeah, I, I'm actually shocked that we had internet, that we had the ability to stream. Our download speed was one. That's it. It was one. But it was a steady one, and it actually allowed us to, uh, to, to stream just, just enough. 
to stream. As long as, long as your suggestions are a lot better than that Virgin River. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I got uh, heavily criticized by a few <laughs> folks for that last recommendation as uh, some of our listeners went and checked that one out. And I, I don't think they could make it through the first episode of that soap opera-ish show. So I'll redeem myself with some recommendations these next few weeks, okay? Okay. All right. right. Very good. Uh, our main topic of the day, though, is to, to get a little nerdy, get a little mathy, on today's show, I don't know if that's a word, my uh, senior year calculus teacher is probably ripping his hair out at that word, but <laughs> we're going to talk about five important retirement statistics worth understanding. Now, don't tune away. You don't have to fast forward through the episode just to get to the to the Netflix conversation, although I know that's you know what everybody sticks around for at the end of the program. We're, we're going to keep these stats high level, easy to understand, and really just kind of look under the hood at what these tell us about retirement and financial planning in our country and uh, locally, the folks that you work with on a, a daily basis, Scott, I think these will provide us some good insight. And some of these stats, I know what the stats were a couple of years ago, so we can provide some context for how things have changed as well. And that'll be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's the first one to get us started. Only 17% of American workers describe themselves as a very confident that they'll have enough money in retirement. My only reaction to that stat, or at least my first reaction, is just kind of sadness that the level of confidence is so low among so many Americans. That's that's not good. Well, I think there's a lot of different factors. But you know what, Walter? I see this all the time. Just had a new client that signed up with me about a month ago. His wife had passed away, and his wife handled all of the finances. And he came in my office with a s- spreadsheet. The spreadsheet must have been several years old. And he really had no idea how much he had, where he had it. And he was the exact opposite of that 17% of Americans that feel confident. And you'd be surprised that, you know, this stat certainly does hold true because most people truly don't feel confident that they have a handle and that they're going to have enough money for retirement. And I, I think some of the reasons for that, uh, number one is I think there's a lot of information out there. I, th- I think you know a lot of people there. There's a lot of misinformation that a lot of people are, you know that that even if they do have the money they need for retirement, they feel they don't have the money they need for retirement, and that's a big distinction there because 17 percent of people may feel confident, but you know 80 percent of them may have enough money to retire on they just don't know so i i think that misinformation leads into that a little bit and and another factor is you know there are the financial markets and the financial world now is much 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 more complicated than it was just you know five years ago even you read in the papers look on the internet the news there's bitcoin and there's you know all these different ways you can invest money. The stock market's going up, these tech companies, and there's so many mutual funds, so many ETFs, so many different types of investments. People aren't sure what they need to be doing with their money too, and that lowers their confidence level also. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's so many different kind of things seem to be attacking our finances these days, and that's why you just have so much low confidence. Uh, there's always something in the media and the news telling us that the world's going to end tomorrow, or at least it feels that way. And so it's hard to feel confident yeah. about anything, especially finances, when that's the case. And then you throw in the, uh, the the big one is taxes. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty about taxes, and that p- makes people feel – less confident too because they don't know 
where those tax rates are going to be when they retire. What's going to happen with the capital gains tax rate? Are, when, when I pass away, is my house going to go to my kids without being taxed? I mean, there's, you know, there, there's a lot of uncertainty, and that leads to that you know, lack of confidence, too. So that's a good statistic to get us started and to understand. So our, our base stat, our base beginning, is that there's just a big lack of confidence in retirement preparation. Now let's look at some others that tell us a little bit about the financial world around us and what we're entering into into the future as a country. Life expectancy, let's talk about that. The average mm-hmm. 65-year-old woman. All right, so if you've made it to 65 and you're a woman, you are now expected to live another 20.7 years. And I actually grabbed the conservative estimate here, Scott. I saw a few others that indicated 21, 22, and and maybe one that was getting closer to 23 years as the additional life expectancy added on to, you know, that 65-year-old age. So now we're talking about 85 years plus being the average expectancy if you've made it to 65. And that number has gone up. I think it was closer to just 20 flat or 19 high 19s just a couple of years ago. So that number has continued to go up. But, you know, I have people come in my office too, you know, they're 65 years old. And, you know, when, when I run financial plans, I usually run them out to 92, you know, at the minimum. Unless for some reason somebody has a health issue and, you know, we feel we need to adjust it. But 92 to be on the safe side. And I tell you, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm never going to make it, you know, to you know, past 80. And the more and more and more I see people living longer and longer and longer. And I have got a bunch of clients, you know, well into their 80s that, that you know, continue to, you know, live very full lives. So you know, the big thing to take away from this stat is that you know, when you're 65 years old, you very well may have 20, 25 years that you're going to have to fund your own retirement. And you know, maybe again, that leads into that first stat, that lack of confidence. But you know, if you do proper planning and you run out the, you know, to age 92, which is even farther, you project up inflation, you know, increasing it, you know, 3% or whatever number that we decide in our design meeting that we're going to run for our inflation. And, you know, you need the plan to live that long because believe it or not, more than likely you, you will. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and right along with that stat, Scott, this one just kind of helps put that one into context even more. You look at the percentage of our country's population that has reached that mile marker, that that 65-year age point of their life, and we're now at 16.5% approximately of the country's population over age 65. And that stat just a couple of years ago was only something like 13%. So quickly, that you know older population of our country— the baby boomers, they're retiring very frequent, frequently, and they're also a big portion of our population. What does that indicate to you from a financial planning standpoint? You know what, Walter, you hit the nail on the head there, and it's the baby boomers. I mean, so this number's going to continue to go up uh, as, as, as you know, our population starts to age because we do have a big kind of a, I guess you could say, a tailwind and that we do have I get all these generations mixed up. It's millennials or something is a very big generation also. But, you know, for for the mean, meantime, our uh, population shifting and getting older. And that creates, obviously, demographic shifts. 
it changes spending shifting in our country. So in theory, you know, the most of wealth is held by those people that are over age 65. They've been saving their whole lives. They've accumulated money in their retirement plans. So the majority of the wealth of the country is also in that over age 65 population. That is a recipe for a lot of trouble if, as a country, we're not prepared for that uh, that aging population that's going to need health care help and have a lot of expenses in that realm. And then the transfer of wealth that will happen between generations over the course of the next several years as well, mm-hmm. you know, maybe more of a, a decade or two away from that really starting to kick in. But all things that I think will really change the, the dynamic in the face of the country in many ways. Well, Walter, that's another reason when you you think about, you know, our Social Security and our Medicare system and that they're strained financially is because of this aging population. And, you you know, you've got that rising cost of health care. You've got, you know, more and more people that that are, are relying on having Medicare and the Social Security checks. And that's also something that might lead you know, like I've said a thousand times on this podcast before, that the rising taxes down the road. Taxes, taxes, taxes. It always comes yeah. back to that, doesn't it? I think about them all the time, Walter. <laughs> always on your mind. I'm surprised all of your Netflix recommendations don't come back to some sort of tax element. Like, oh, I watched, uh, yeah, Taxes and Your Money and Taxes and Your Life this week on Netflix. It was riveting. It was really exciting stuff. Yeah, they, they don't have many on Netflix <laughs> because people just don't want to be reminded. I'm, I'm still waiting. That'll then maybe take the, cake, the crown away from me from worst recommendation. We'll, we'll have to see. You know, we mentioned briefly healthcare. Let, let's circle back there uh, because the average retiree, here's another stat, will spend about $295,000, it's estimated, on out-of-pocket medical expenses over the course of their retirement. Now, this figure was more than $80,000 lower just two to three years ago, just really shows you how those healthcare costs continue to inflate. And it sounds like the folks who are pulling these stats together and making these future estimates don't think that's going to slow down. Well, you know what? When I run my worry-free retirement blueprint for my clients, most people underestimate the cost of healthcare because healthcare is rising faster than the rate of inflation. I run the inflation rate on healthcare at 7%. Six, seven percent, depending on the plan. And then I pull out the expenses out of their normal monthly budget for health care. So if somebody says I need four thousand dollars a month to live on and they included, you know, their Medicare C and D in there, or their advantage plan or whatever, I pull that out and calculate it separately and I increase the inflation rate on that. And it you know, it's those out of pockets like this stat refers to that you need to be careful of because we know all of these retirement plans, I mean, uh, healthcare plans get bigger and bigger and larger and larger deductibles. And, and you know, you're going to be spending a lot for prescriptions and, and all these things throughout your retirement. So we calculate them separately, run that up and then add that back into that budget when we run the retirement plans, because we just think that's the more safe or conservative route to go because it's going to be an expense. Most people really aren't calculating properly when they're trying to figure out how much they need for retirement. Absolutely. That's uh, it's just such a huge part of the plan. Unfortunately, Scott, and I know you've seen this from reviewing people's plans before, it's it's an overlooked part of the plan as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if they even think about healthcare at all, they're underestimating that number. Yeah, absolutely. All right, one last stat for you, Scott. 90% of people over 60 say a written retirement plan is important, but only 20% actually have one. Okay, this actually, I made this stat up, Scott, so the rest of them are real. This one I just made up out of thin air. But I'm going to guess it sounded real to you. Does it kind of match up with what you've seen when you meet with people in a first appointment? Is there this gap between wanting to be prepared and actually being prepared? You know what? Yeah. I mean, you made this stat up, but it is it is real life because most people know they need to do something, know they need to prepare, have a plan for their retirement, but they just never get around to doing it. And and it's just like a lot of things in life. You know, I had somebody come in the office the other day, uh, a, a new uh, client that I'm working with, and she said this exact same thing. We knew we've needed to do something for a long time. And I feel so much better that we finally got this squared away. We have this written retirement plan because it made them feel that much more comfortable about their retirement. And that's the thing is that, you know, I've said this before, knowledge is power. And you, know, you can go through your life just wondering if you're going to have enough, wondering how much health care is going to cost down the road, wondering if you're prepared for an increase in taxes, wondering if you're going to have uh, have to go into assisted living or nursing home facility and your spouse is going to you know, be destitute at that point in time and not be able to, to live the way they want to and live their lifestyle. Or you can actually create a written retirement plan that looks at all these things, like our retirement, worry-free retirement blueprint. That's the whole idea, is that you have your plan prepared, and it's going to give you a lot more comfort going forward. If you'd like to talk a little bit about what that plan looks like in a little bit more detail with Scott, it's easy to schedule a time to chat. You can do that at talktoscott.com. That's it. Just go to talktoscott.com. That takes you right to Scott's calendar, where you can schedule a time to meet in the near future at a time that's convenient for you. And you can dig into some of the elements of your financial plan, and in fact, all of the elements of your financial plan. And Scott will make sure that you are well prepared to get to and through retirement. You hear some of these stats on the show today. They shouldn't uh, necessarily shock you or scare you, but they should open your eyes to the reality that there are a lot of things to plan for in the financial world. Medical expenses being one of them. Increased longevity, another one as well. Coming to terms with those things is important in realizing that, yeah, I need to have a good plan to make it through all those years of retirement and not just survive, but, uh, you know, it's kind of cliche to say it, Scott, but we want to thrive in retirement too. You know, it's not just about survival, but you want to still live the same lifestyle with the same vibrance and energy for as long as you can. And with a proper plan, you increase the chances of of that being the case. So if you want to work with Scott and talk a little bit more about this with him, again, go to talktoscott.com or you can call 888 Seven four two zero one eleven. That's eight 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 seven four two zero one eleven. It's getting to know you time. Well, that sound means it's time to get to know Scott a little bit better on today's show. My question for you on this episode, Scott, is outside of your home and your office, 
and maybe you have to go back to pre-COVID times to even answer this question, but where do you spend the most time? Well, you're right. The, pre- the COVID thing's kind of messed all this yeah, stuff up, Yeah, kind of messed up, that right? up a little bit. Yeah. Can, can I guess what, what you're going to say? You, you, can, you can guess because I think listeners of the show might be able to figure this out. I'm going to say a lacrosse field. You nailed it, Walter. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, obviously when I, you know, I'm in the office a lot and I'm at home a lot, but the things that I'm doing outside are lacrosse. I mean, I've got three daughters that are playing lacrosse in college. I've got my 11, soon to be 12 year old that plays lacrosse. I coach her team now, so I'm not with the high school anymore. I went down to do the fifth, sixth grade team. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing. That encompasses the rest of, you know, what I, what I do outside the home and office. I figured uh, it was going to involve lacrosse in some way, shape, or form. Yes, so. yes. Yeah, that one, that one was an easy one to, to read the tea leaves on, if anyone's been a listener for a little while here on the program. And there is a little lacrosse at the home and office, too, so. Oh, that's uh, so. Do you, have, uh, do you have a stick in the office that you uh, pull out and, you know, cradle, cradle the ball every once in a while? No, no, no. But, you know, I'll do, uh, you know, maybe I'll think of a practice plan or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, over lunch or, or something like that. So, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I think about it a lot because I enjoy it. I remember with uh, when you play lacrosse, I just remember from my brief couple of seasons of lacrosse when I was younger, you carry the it, it's helpful to carry the stick everywhere in the ball and just cradle right. while you're doing everyday tasks and just around the house and it, it helped to get a lot better so like i would spend the weekends you know if we were just you know going somewhere i would try and have the stick just kind of constantly cradling but then when i moved to defenseman that became a lot harder with the six foot sticks so <laughs> yeah yeah you knocking over lamps it's a little harder stuff. to carry around yeah. the house in that case yes it is <laughs> <laughs> that's true though that's I mean, all, all all my new girls that 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 I coach, you know, I tell them, take it in the house. I give them a ball and just cradle it and just get used to having it in there. And yeah, because that, especially with with women's lacrosse, because the the head is a lot less, not as deep. The netting's not as deep as as That's a men's true. stick, so it's much easier to lose the ball. Much harder, much harder. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Uh, men's lacrosse actually pretty easy to keep the ball in there. <laughs> like, yeah, it you is. You really have to kind of mess up to yeah. to lose the ball. Women's much much harder. Women's lacrosse. So it is. That's a really good point to make. I always think of uh, Michael Jordan, and he talked about one of the ways he got so good at basketball was, I guess, his coach at the time, or maybe his dad, told him dribble everywhere. Just take take a basketball everywhere you go. And so, like, when he would go to a friend's house, he would walk to their house, and he would dribble the basketball all the way there. And then wherever his friends wanted to go, he would dribble the basketball. And the people would be like, well, you're always dribbling the basketball everywhere we go. Like, don't you want to just walk normally? But that's how good he – that's how he became so good at ball handling and benefited mm-hmm. his skills because it just became second nature at that point. If you can dribble on uneven asphalt and gravel and in the grass and in all these other locations, then it gets easy on a basketball court. So Yeah, absolutely. Makes same sense. Thing. Same thing in the cross, I guess. but. That's pretty cool. All right, so uh, home, office, and the cross field, the trifecta of locations for Scott Searles. Yes. Uh, time to answer one of our listener questions. Let's open up the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you.
All right, today's question comes to us from April. April says, Scott, my husband and I are planning to take care of one another as we get older, unless one of us is just in extremely bad health. Since this is our plan, how much long-term care coverage do we really need? Well, April, you have got the plan of 95% of people that come into my office. And it's a very admirable plan, but it may not necessarily, April, be the most realistic plan. Because, you know, think of the situation where, you know, everybody wants to take care of each other as they get older, and you will. You know, you certainly will as long as you can. But for the majority of people, what happens is maybe one of you needs, you know, you get older, you need physical therapy, and you, you fall, you hurt yourself, or you simply cannot help that person anymore. You can't lift them up. You can't help them get from the chair to the table. Uh, maybe, you know, bad knee, whatever the case may be. That's why the majority of people eventually end up needing some type of long-term care facility, whether it's assisted living or a nursing home. So even though, you know, you certainly probably will start to carry out that plan, I think the point where you said that, unless one of us gets in extremely bad health, we're starting to head in the right direction. But I, I think what you may not realize is you don't have to be in extremely bad health to need to get some type of long-term care help. It just takes simple things like, you know, if, if you can't move well, your spouse may not be able, you may be in great health. Or, you know, the other thing is, is your mind. Alzheimer's or something like that kicks in and you know one of you may not be able to leave the other one alone because you're afraid that you know they could catch the house on fire forget to turn the stove off or something like that so I think everybody needs to have a plan for long-term care and for some people that's funding it yourself finding your own funds, setting funds aside, and funding it yourself. For other people, maybe it's buying some type of long-term care coverage, whether it's through a traditional long-term care policy or some of the new ones that provide life insurance. Also, you know, I, I think everybody needs to have some type of plan because I think the majority of people are eventually going to need it. That's a great point, Scott. And yeah, the, um, the the plan of let's just take care of each other works great until you can't. And and right. that can be physically. It can also be mentally. It, it can be a mental thing that, that, that hurts you. A family member was telling me about uh, someone that they advise at work. I, I won't disclose any further information to protect <laughs> their job and, and the innocent. But um, they they literally just went through a situation where her coworker, had his dad show up at the house just a couple of weeks ago and drop off his mom and said, I'm sorry, son, I can't, I, I can't do it anymore. And then, and left and then, and then went back home and, and left mom there now for the son to take care of because the dad just ran out of steam. He just, he just physically and mentally can't take it anymore. And, and you know, to turn his life totally upside down as he's now caring for his mom in this unplanned situation. And, those stories always kind of sound like they're never going to happen to you and, until one day they, they might. And, and it's just so, so important to have that plan and have uh, a course of action. Otherwise, you end up in situations like that that are kind of just heartbreaking on all sides. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
um, great question, April. Thank you for asking that one. Something that needs to be addressed. If you're not addressing long-term care and the, uh, you know, you have alternatives, you have different options, but you got to have that portion of your plan covered. And if you're not doing so, please reach out to Scott. Talk a little bit about how to incorporate that into your plan. Talktoscott.com is your place to go to schedule a time to meet on your computer or smartphone. Just go to talktoscott.com or call 888-742-0111. Just sitting at home with nothing to do. It's time for the shelter-in-place movie TV review. All right, favorite part of the show, Scott. Time to review recent TV and movies that we've watched and uh, recommend them or tell the audience to stay away from them. Uh, We've recently differed on Virgin River with my recommendation of watching it and yours of staying away from it. So we'll see if we get back on the same page with our recommendations this time around. What you got for us this week? Well, so, you know what, I... My wife and I like the true crime stuff, and okay. and and sometimes you know we do watch plenty of of regular movies and TV shows. But we saw something on Netflix called Fear City, New York versus the Mafia. Okay, I remember seeing the trailer for that. It looked pretty good. Yeah, so you know it's a, it's a documentary. But what I was amazed by is how powerful the mafia was in new york in the 70s i mean they controlled everything i mean they controlled that whole city they had their hands in everything and then rico statutes came along that then allowed the fbi to start taking down allowing the them to take down the underlings and then tie it to the big bosses and that's when they really started to to take a dent out of the the mafia in new york but i was just amazed at how uh how powerful they were. I mean, they ran that whole city. So this was a, a real-life documentary Sopranos version. Correct, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, nice. you, you you know, all the different mob bosses that they had, you know, there in New York, and, and, you know, they each had their own little turf and the things that they were doing, but they were in everything. That's pretty cool. All right, so I'm, I'm going to add that one to the list on our Netflix queue. Uh, I think that one sounds like a good one. We, l- we like some of that true crime type stuff as well. So mm-hmm. good recommendation. All right. I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've been watched a lot. So I'm going to try not to just, you know, blow it all on this episode and I'll save some for future episodes. So the one I'll pick to highlight on today's show is Cobra Kai. It's on Netflix. Cobra Kai. Now, the only reason we started watching this because is my wife, uh, they, it's actually in its third season um, and they just released the third season recently. And my wife's, cousin has like a he was an extra in one of the scenes in the show and he's standing right next to the star in the show for like three minutes straight and so we went to just go watch that one episode not really knowing anything about the series and just to see him and then we ended up liking it and so we said well let's go back to the beginning and start watching it so we went through and then we ended up binging so many episodes they go by really fast Mm-hmm. But it's it's the follow-up to the Karate Kid movies from back in the 80s. And yep. it's all the Karate Kids are grown up now and following their their lives as adults. And, you know, and then it, there's still a big heavy emphasis on karate in the show, but it's following the kids from that original movie and how their lives are playing out as adults. And it is really well done. Yeah, they have the same actors, too. We've watched it, too. We love okay, Cobra good, Kai. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I did we, not we, think I was going to like it at all, but it was so good. 
It was. Really it was. Good. Well, the neat thing is that you tie it back to that original Karate Kid movie, and it's the same actors, and you, you know that makes you, it pretty neat, doesn't it? It does make it neat, you know, and uh, yeah, it's a really good show. I, I would recommend that also, Walter. Now I'm jealous that I actually went with the Mafia. I could have gone with Cobra Kai. <laughs> that was better. Well, you can change your answer if you want. You can. <laughs> we can just be in agreement on Cobra Kai. So to a company that I also throw out, so this is kind of interesting, we actually had never seen the original Karate Kid movies. I, I, I don't know why, but I never watched them growing up. And so I actually didn't know a lot of the backstory. So once we got through, I think, like the first season, we said, okay, we actually should probably go back and watch the original so that we get some of the references, even though they do a good job in Cobra Kai of kind of like flashing back. So we went back and we watched the original Karate Kid movies, and they were so good. Like they yeah. were really good movies. Like even thirty years later, they've sort of stood the test of time, and uh, and were actually really fantastic. So we we just really have enjoyed catching up on on those old movies, and then also watching this new series brought brought a lot of joy to the house of just you know fun fun show, kind of mm-hmm. deep at times, funny, goofy, uh, kind of has a little bit of everything going on. It does. You, you know, isn't there like five original Karate Kid movies or something? So there's there's, there's three originals that had okay. uh, the kid in it, like the the main kids and, and right. Mr. Miyagi. So they're, they're through the first three, and, that, and those are the three that we watched. And then I think there is a fourth one with Mr. Miyagi where he then trains like a girl up in Boston or something like that. So okay. it's like a right. – but the original kid is not in that one. So like they held okay. on to Mr. Miyagi for one more show. And then they okay. rebooted it several years later with, like, uh, Will Smith's kid in the 2000s and some oh, point. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he made yeah. one. But I wouldn't yeah. really consider that part of the. I don't think that's part of the same. We're, I don't think Will Smith's kid's going to show up on one of the episodes here soon. Although I, yeah, could, no. I could be wrong. But I view that as sort of a little bit separate part of the franchise. I would agree. Yeah. But anyway, if anybody uh, – I'm not even a big karate guy, but it's a big – it's a cool show, and it's really well done. So – I recommend Cobra Kai to those of you who like Netflix shows, easy to watch, and they're short episodes too, so they 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 come come at you rapid fire. Uh, I don't know if you felt the same way, Scott, but then yeah, they're like a half hour shows. Yeah, it's yeah, like they watching, end really fast and like watching. You, Shit's we watched another episode. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's like watching Shit's Creek. All of a sudden, you're there. You've watched like ten of them, and you're like, "What? Yeah, how did that happen?" Like, we yeah, they just one? fly through. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, there you go. Cobra Kai, good one. Go check it out. Uh, That's it for this week's episode, Scott. Appreciate your help. Yeah, anytime, Walter. I enjoy it every time. Absolutely. We'll look forward to chatting with you again on the next episode. And for Scott, I'm Walter. Again, if you have any questions for Scott at all, check the description of today's show for contact info or go to talktoscott.com to schedule a time to visit. And we'll talk to you next time right back here on the Retirement Toolbox. Go Cavs. Investment advisory services provided by Skybox Asset Management, LLC.